I got cervical cancer and my granddad died all in the same month. So oh. I decided to close the restaurants, but it was fine. I got treated immediately and then I had to pay off some debt. So I immediately took up a job, which I was offered uh, to open uh, UK's first dark kitchen brand. So I opened like about 15 of, uh, sorry, 15, seven of them in the UK, paid off all my debts. Then I was like, okay, back to, I want, I did that for a year and did jobs for a year. I was like, okay, I want to make TV shows now. This is what I always wanted to do. And let me be brave and go for it. This is the Indian News Podcast, stories of success from leaders and change makers of Indian origin. Why have Indians achieved success across so many different disciplines around the globe? I have no idea, but let's find out together because every story is unique and we have a very unique story with us today. I'm very excited to have Srimoy Chakraborty with us today. She's a chef, a broadcaster, and producer of many things more. She's launched a chain of restaurants in London called Calcutta Street. I invited her on this show as she has an exciting journey from food to TV, which are all industries very tough to break into. I was very curious as to how she was able to do it. Welcome, Shivoy. It's an absolute pleasure to have you on our podcast. Thank you so much, Sanjay, for having me. It's an absolute pleasure to be here with all these amazing other guests that you've had. So I'm feeling a bit... Uh, a bit of an imposter syndrome, but I'm sure that we'll be over it. Yeah. I don't think there's any imposter syndrome here. You've done incredible amount of stuff in such a short period of time. And we are all curious to know about the journey. But to really get to know about the journey, Shimoy, you kind of have to go to the beginning. So can you tell us a little bit about, or a little bit more about where were you born? Tell us a little bit about your parents, siblings, the environment, etc. So just take a walk down right in the beginning. Yeah. So let's go right to the start. So I was born actually outside of Calcutta in a little suburb to a very middle-class family. My dad was a struggling entrepreneur when I was born. He eventually became fairly successful. And my mother is a philosophy professor and a classical musician. I had kind of two different extremes, like just putting context, right wing and left wing in the same house. Though my dad, like in terms of being an entrepreneur, he was quite entrepreneurial. But at the same time, he had initially had quite left wing thoughts. You know, he used to be a communist back in the days. That's how my parents met in Calcutta's presidency college, which was quite intellectual. Though my dad is nothing of an intellectual, just zero. There is a very intellectual mess happening there. But my mom is the opposite end of it she's a true very demure very you know sophisticated musician professor vibe you know so if you think mm -hmm. of that opposites I think I don't know how they attracted each other but they did somehow and I have a little brother who mm -hmm. came seven years younger than me so he came much later in the picture and yeah I was born in a middle-class family we were in a joint family so I lived with my grandparents uh, my dad's side but mm -hmm. I was very close to my maternal grandparents because my mom was actually, she, my parents had me when they were very young, when they were 21. And in fact, I was a child out of wedlock, which was very rare happening back in the day. So they were quite, they broke their own rules in many ways. So my mom had to actually go through a PhD and a master's when I was very little. So I spent a lot of time with my maternal grandparents who were very liberal, very modern thinking, but you know, from very middle-class background, but they had a very open, broad mind. And I was very, very close to my grandfather. So yeah, that's the childhood, which is outside of Calcutta, not even, I'm not a big city. Like I wasn't born in a big city. I was born really from outside. And there were very little, 
not many role models to look up to, you know. When I was growing up, I mean, of course, my mom in a certain way, she opened up my world in many ways she, with her just her liberal thinking. I wasn't with my immediate family, so my parents weren't raising me like a, which I thanked them for, actually, including my dad, like a quote-unquote typical Indian girl in the sense that, you know, my dream, they never told me that my ambitions were to get married, never discussed. Though my father's family was very, very traditional and very orthodox. So they still believed in the Brahmin concept and stuff like that. And I was very, how do I put it in a nice way? Well, I don't have to put it in a nice way. I was quite the um, rebellious child. I wasn't rebellious. Mm -hmm. I was just, I just never fit in mm -hmm. somehow in my surroundings. So obviously I stood out. I mean, I didn't fit in ways like, for example, like, I asked too many questions. I wouldn't take uh, no for an answer unless you gave me an explanation and mm -hmm. stuff like that. So obviously, yes, I don't know. I'm sure like, you know, in traditional conservative Indian families, that's not something that you're not a good girl, right? I wasn't so, it was a bit of a, you know, tug of war growing up. It was a slightly unsettling thing because my growing up in a middle, you know, joint family where you're not looked upon as a good girl, but then your parents teach you, like my dad would often joke when I was younger and I was, I was a daughter, I was dark skinned. So that played a big role in my household where I was constantly being told I'm not pretty enough, I'm not going to be intelligent enough because all of that. But my dad would say things like, she doesn't need to get married. She's going to own her own plane one day, you know? But my dad was always giving those crazy ambitions. Like he would just make these fleeting statements, which as a child made me think that, oh, I can achieve anything, you know? As in like, there is no goal to what I need to be, you know? So, I mean, just, yeah. So that was the context where I grew up in this place where there was... This one side where it was very orthodox, my surroundings were very conservative. My school, I went to a very Catholic Christian school where it was very conservative, very restraining. The education system was not very open. Kids weren't encouraged to ask questions. You just had to listen. So in fact, in my school days, I was always, the teachers were always, she's very intelligent, but you know, if only she's worked harder or whatever, she was, so I was scoring well in say maths and certain subjects, which, you know, required just logic, but history and stuff, I was like, just really miserable in. And so I didn't really, I wasn't an excellent, in Indian schools, again, I was getting something like 80%, but that's not good enough, right? Because mm -hmm. it's, you, unless you're getting 96%, you're bad, right? And it's good or bad. So I was in the bad category, always bad because she can, she could do so much better if she just tried harder, if she don't, didn't keep questioning people and if she just shut up and it was in school and at home. So I was a very, I, was, I would say I was a bit of an unhappy kid and I was desperate to get out of Calcutta. I was just desperate from as long as I could remember. I was like, I need to leave this place. I'm going to go to Mumbai. I already had nobody in my family had been abroad at that time and I was already telling stuff and when I was like nine or ten my mom jokes saying I would go around telling but I'm going to be in London one literally not knowing I, that I would actually end up in London yeah that's to paint a picture that was the real picture a uh, lot of interesting threads there Shumai you said something uh, and as I said there are multiple threads that it was not a it, a happy you were not a happy child now that's a very relative term because childhood has got a lot of different components. Was it because of the tug and pull between conservative, liberal, not living up to the expectations, as you said? I said, we only have two grades. 
uh, as far as Indians are concerned, it's A or A, A plus, at least as far as U.S. is concerned, and there are only two professions, medicine and engineering. But so what was it like? There was always this question that she's right, but if she worked hard, she could realize her potential. So what what went through at that time? Tell me, you said you were not happy. Yeah, so there were multiple things about it, right? So one was obviously no child likes to feel disliked, right? You live in a joint family and people constantly comparing you. So it was like, I wasn't pretty enough, so I'm never going to get married. <laughs> I'm too skinny, mm -hmm. so I'm never going to get married. I am not getting a 90%, so I'm not, I, I, I don't, I'm not going to be an IIT. That was the narrative, right? Which was constantly being painted at my, at home. So my mom was my safe net and my dad in an, to an extent as well. Not a safe net. My dad was also a very aggressive kind of a guy, but I did see him as a, he was quite, he was one of the only role models I had because I thought he was really successful and he was so driven and he was cool and that he had his world vision and both my parents actually in different ways. Mm -hmm. But then in school, I was also getting bullied by my peers and the teachers, actually the Indian school system quite, was quite nasty back in the days where the teachers actually label kids and put them into good and bad categories. So it's not a very nurturing experience, right? And what do you spend most of your time? You spend most of your time at school and then cool. at home. And mm -hmm. if both those places felt unsafe, it wasn't, so I was just desperate. And then when I became a teenager, I was, like I said, I was just a bit of a gawky kid. I was just always a little different than other kids. So I was always getting labeled as Whatever. I would say stuff like, I want to go to London one day. People are like, they want to go to IIT. I'm like, oh, I don't want to go to IIT. I want to go to London. It's very amateurish, right? But I think it came from a place of, I, I, I just wanted to dream big, but I didn't know what my dreams were. But I was like, okay, I know I want to do something different. And I don't want to be an engineer or a doctor. So eventually I chose economics because I felt, because anyway, then I worked really hard in my A-levels and I got through on the best college, one of the really good colleges in India. And then suddenly people were like, okay, she's whatever. But I, I think that, and also I was into fashion a lot when I was a kid. And again, in India, suburban India, that was never a good thing. Because if you're, like fashion a lot, but it's more, I think I dressed differently than my peers. So I would always look for different things. So I was always looking for, when I was a kid, I watched like Bertolucci and Italian cinema and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So I was always looking at stuff like, oh, uh, the French do this and the Italians do this. Mm -hmm. Why do we have to just think in just such micro spaces? Why do we have to copy everyone? Why can't we just be who we are kind of thing? So it was an unhappy childhood because of that, right? Because it was constant. My head was saying one thing, then I didn't want to listen to people. So I wasn't going to take no for an answer. So it was constant conflict. And then I got bullied. I was, it was just, I had a very disturbing child, like a uh, school life, I would say early school. And then things really changed after university. Just talking about school, I went to a Catholic school. So just talk a, a little bit about that, because that I think had a big impression on you. Catholic schools are very regimented, but you have the fathers and the sisters and brothers. And so what happened, it just was, you were picked up on, bullied in what way, the by other students, etc. Was it mental? Mainly mental bullying? So it's World Mental Health Day today, so it's a good uh, time to actually discuss this. And I've, I've actually never said this out loud before, but yeah, like when I was in my early, so like what, 12, 13, 14, that age group, 
I was getting bullied from both ends by the teachers and by the kids. There are those five, six kids. Yeah. The click, the click. Yeah. The prefects and this and that. And yeah. they're, and the teachers are there. And the teachers, the thing is in suburban Indian schools, the teachers who are coming to teach as well also have very little world exposure, right? Yeah. And oftentimes when they get those jobs, they're not the best in their own academic space, yeah. right? I can say that now because unfortunately teaching is such a lowly paid profession and I think that should really change because un otherwise you're not going to attract the best of the crop yeah. in the job. Garbage in, garbage out. Yeah. So that's the kind of teachers you have. Mm -hmm. So then they, there were, so, so I, they didn't like me very much because obviously I was questioning. For example, just to give a small example. So mm -hmm. in maths, you could do a long drawn formula and I would sometimes just keep a few steps like easy steps which you don't need to show mm -hmm. come on like why do i need to show the silly step and they'd be like but i got the answer correct right and it clearly looked yeah. like i didn't cheat had enough numbers mm -hmm. so they'd be like oh we give you zero for this i was like but why because i asked why and you could just explain it to me but mm -hmm. or i don't know let's say there's a physics experiment and i would say okay so can we apply it like this or, or like that looking back in hindsight that would that was classified as she's too she's too arrogant she asks all these questions but why shouldn't I now I think of it my if my daughter I would encourage my daughter to do this yeah. and in fact that's what changed when I went for my master's where suddenly I excelled because teachers liked exactly this quality of me they were like oh mm -hmm. I'm really so glad that she's asking questions because she's interested so that was happening where I was not the good girl and then of course I was wearing whatever I was into fashion so I'm of course a bad yeah. girl I would fill my hair and tie my hair into plaits so I was a bad girl uh, because your character at that age is assassinated by those little things that's yeah. the level of maturity that are showing and then the classmates would bully because of my skin color so I got majorly bullied because of my skin color so I would call like crow kawa black they would play games in the school bus and they would be like okay let's make her the maid because she looks like a maid she's too skinny she's so dark blah 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 it was like, That's... I was not getting really accepted anywhere, right? And as a teenager, that's your space. I was also listening to English music, for example. So I would listen to a lot of whatever, Western music. and mm -hmm. Or I would listen to classical music because my mom was a classical musician and I knew a bit about it. So suddenly mm -hmm. I was going to listen to Bollywood. So mm -hmm. again, India is all about Bollywood, right? Mm -hmm. So again, that was another space. I could just list down many, but I think these were the key pointers. And yeah, so at age what? 15, 14, I felt really suicidal. I actually wanted to end my life. And that was the turning point because my mom really intervened at that point because uh, I didn't take any, I like bought some sleeping mm -hmm. pills thinking, oh, I'm going to take some of them. And my mom found out. And then she actually went and had a conversation with my principal saying, mm -hmm. what are you putting my daughter through? Why are you labeling her as a bad girl, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, I, that didn't really change anything, but I decided that I'm going to leave that school come what may. So I worked really hard to get good grades in my C's, which is like the ten, oh. uh, GCSEs, right? Mm -hmm. And I got to do a very much better school, which was in Calcutta. And mm -hmm. as soon as you move from suburbs to a big city, things mm -hmm. suddenly changed, right? And then there was those problems went away. Because I had a fresh slate to start from. But I stuck to my guns. Not a single girl has left my school because people are scared about changing schools for the last two years because of whatever. And my parents were petrified. They're like, this girl's not, she, what is she gonna do? She might not even get in. I was like, I will stop studying or I will get into that school. But there is no money around.
I didn't even repeat, take my form or whatever. And I think that really changed it. And I became more confident. And then I finally took up economics and statistics and subjects I loved. I really liked in my, these were subjects I chose eventually in my in your A-levels. Mm -hmm. And I did well. I, I got the 90 finally that everybody was expecting me to get. But I just wanted, I didn't study anymore. I studied just, I always do the bare minimum. Like I, I, I listened to, I was someone who would always participate in class. So I always, I'm very, I, I would really pay attention in class. And so if you do that, your, half your job is done, right? Then you just have to brush up a little bit. And then the, before the exam, I would just really go all, all in and then study and then I'll be, I, I'd be fine. So yeah, I think that was the, that was one of the big milestones, I would say, where that downer and then finally getting that helped yeah, so I want to, uh, because you talk about two decisive points in your life, because those are things that for our listeners, you might, because it's very helpful. As you said, it's mental health day. So just want to touch very gently on this whole suicide thing that happened. You got, that was, must have been something really big for you to take such a step. But you got a lot of help and support from a mom on that issue, where she just went back. Just mom. And she didn't talk to anybody else about it. Because people would even judge me more. My family members would be even more harsh on me, saying, oh, she's doing drama. Because in India, again, all yeah. those things, and seriously, right? So my mom was very ahead of the times, I have to say. And she really, really, she really came, like, like cocooned me and came super close. And she became my best friend from that time. And after that, I actually didn't need a best friend because I was like, I don't need these girls because they're so bitchy and mean anyway. I've got my mom and she's cool. And I started hanging out a lot with her friends. And suddenly you feel so loved because you're like, okay, this is what the kind of love you look for. And I'm sure every teenager goes through that kind of stuff, right? Yeah. Not everybody probably because some, is, some teenagers are the pretty ones, some are the smart ones. I was fitting nowhere, <laughs> but no, it was not, it was not the most, like I said, that's why I said it was not a very happy memory. And I it's couldn't It's gotten wait. a lot tougher with social media, to be very frank with you. It just got amplified. So, so worried about my daughter and I really mm -hmm. hope social media takes a, a word turn by the time she grows up because I've got a three-year-old now and I'm like, I really yeah. don't want this world to influence her so much because it's exactly. so toxic. Is the yeah. word. And a lot of pressure. Coming back, you said you felt you got very close to your mom. So that was a safe environment for you. Bring, getting closer to your mom also was a very important thing, as you said. You didn't need other friends, etc. I think that's a, a great thing that happened. But after that, how you went back to school also and you got good grades, that that period must have been tough going because mom went to the administration, didn't do squat, obviously. And you still had to go back day in and day out and face those same people. Yeah. So you had to pull something from within you. Where were you pulling that, Shuman? I think it was a bit of a blur, honestly. I don't remember. Really? I just thought, okay, I've got the last year to get through and that's it. And I need to just study, focus on my things. Uh, yeah, it was pretty torturous, honestly. I just didn't want to go back. I remember at one point, I was so scared of wearing my school uniform. I actually still get anxiety if I look at that uniform because I'm like, wow. 
Why is that? Yeah, because I was just so scared of going to that school. School. It was a scary place for me. And funny enough, about seven, eight years back, when I opened my restaurants, uh, just and I was uh, a lot in the press and the media and stuff. My I, same principal called my mother, and I hadn't mentioned my school in the article. I mentioned my second school, which is where I really felt yeah. better. And she got offended that I didn't mention that. I she, she called my mother up at home. She found our phone number from somewhere because she couldn't get hold of me because right. I was in London. And she was like, why did your daughter not mention the name of our school? That's where she got her education. Because without that school, she wouldn't be where she is. And my mom was like, you know what? You're right. Because without that anger, she wouldn't be where she is. Well, she and, said that? Uh, yeah. Wow. Because my mom still holds a lot of, she doesn't hold grudges about many things. But I think when it's your daughter, right? And you see yeah. them in such vulnerable Pain. thing. Yeah. And my mom is very, a woman of few words. But she said that. Because she was like, and they tried to invite me for a talk at school, which I never went to. Uh, because You never visited like, your school back again, ever, the Catholic school? No. They invited me once or twice to do a okay. talk, but slightly declined every time. And yeah, so, and I think I did a BBC interview where I said how, how horrible a time I had in school. I don't know if they heard it, but, okay. but I think well. it's important for teenagers to know this. Uh, because school, we glorify schools a lot. Not everybody has that same glorious childhood that and parents should be really vigilant on that aspect of your child is not happy. If you put them in another school, they might just excel. And that's something I'm hyper vigilant with my daughter, because for me, that most important thing for her should be she should be feeling happy going to school, safe going to school, because that's the place she's going to spend so much of her time. in. And if that's not going to happen, then I'd rather her go to another school, but yeah. not not deal with that yeah i think that's an excellent point so then you went to this school you got the you were in that 90 percent category you became a good girl suddenly and you went to this school that was a whole different experience right an inflection yeah. point you discovered yourself how was that tell us a little bit about that it was really good because you know i was in calcutta in a big city my parents had moved houses so we moved to calcutta then we weren't living in the Mm -hmm. uh, I was suddenly exposed to a different world. Uh, people were more liberal, all of that. And mm -hmm. it was, and then my ambitions grew bigger. I was like, this is not good enough. I need to go to Mumbai. I was doing my SATs actually to go to the US and I actually scored decently, but then I realized I'm not going to get scholarship. And I just didn't want to take my dad's money and go to the US. So I was like, okay, let me finish my undergrad from a good university in India. Then okay. I can go for my master's to the UK potentially. And then if I want, I can do my MBA from the US. So it was, I started chalking my career and I started having more people, more discussions with more ambitious kids around me who were discussing going to the US, going to whatever, going to the UK or yeah. who were not just applying to IITs because, mm -hmm. or, be, or, or wanting to just be doctors or engineers. There was... Mm -hmm more opening up, right? I met right. people who were, oh, I want to go to St. Stephen's. Oh, I want to do economics. I want to do journalism. And mm -hmm. it started at one point, I was like, oh, I want to be a pilot. I couldn't because I didn't have eyesight. You just started looking. I started finding up a bit, a bit more of a direct self-taught direction where I was like trying to see where I could go. 
but it was yeah it was it, it also it was a confidence booster because it was yeah i didn't start i i started feeling okay i'm not so bad i'm not a bad girl <laughs> that yeah. that started well that's great where the social stuff also good because the social was horrible in the prior school did you start making some friends also in this new place absolutely i have always since then been very wary of making friends so even till date i have very limited friends so my people uh, uh, i'm actually somewhere deep down scared of women <laughs> men have become better friends to me than women have so i have some excellent female friends now but it's just four can literally count them in my fingers right and i'm very close to them and i can't pretend so that's the other thing i remember being told you need to learn to be more diplomatic and you can't just speak your heart out all the time you can't just say what's in your mind and i can't do that it's just not me so i'm someone who's i need to work towards my ambitions and if i'm going to socialize and i don't want to be diplomatic and even in my work i don't want to be diplomatic because if i'm working hard if i'm sincere if i'm honest if i'm delivering on time before time then why do i need to play games and if i do need to play games then that's not where how i want to go forward that's true so in that school you started making some friends and because it was a little bit of opening up you say for yourself emotionally that hey i can feel secure enough to open myself up to friends in those two years yeah and i could be myself i could be you could be a, yourself i did, people didn't have preconceived notions about me so i right. came in as a teenager i didn't come in as a 3 year old because the kids who knew me in that school they knew me since i was 3 okay. till the time came for team and this saw me as a different person and i had become a bit more confident because i got, cracked the exams i got through the school it was very difficult to change schools with economics maths the combination i wanted because it was mm-hmm. a few seats that's left because it's always internal yeah keep it in so i felt a bit of confidence and i guess people looked at me slightly differently because they were like oh she must she must be good because if she's gotten through that stuff happened as well so i guess people yeah i guess it was just you know a new lease of life for me that's great so now walk us to so what happened you went from there you scored well enough you decided i'm doing sats but don't want to take dad's money so where did you end up after those two years from cal so i wanted to go you wanted to go to the top 5 one of the top 5 mm-hmm. in uh, india yeah so i got through uh st stephen's history but mm-hmm. the college seemed nice uh but the subject uh i, I was like what am i going to do with history i'm sure the people who've done brilliant things i was also scared at the subjects of like they i don't know and i got through lsr which is lady shriram college in delhi and i got through science economics and all these great, were all great colleges um, yeah so i was like okay let's go for science economics wonderful so how was that experience now this was where in bombay bombay yeah it was okay. wonderful i was a kid in a candy store it was like suddenly from mumbai calcutta uh, to mumbai is a transition like i don't know montana or chicago to new york right so that- montana to new york is a better one chicago to new york is for the same but yes montana to new york so it was like wow people are completely different suddenly uh, and when mumbai cal gives you a bit of uh, intellect right calcutta uh, so i did stand out i was like 
suddenly I was a smart one in class. <laughs> I was the top to, and the teachers were very nice to me. We had professors like Arundhati Roy, some of the top, you know, professors that you could think of, guest lecturers were coming. Living in Mumbai, I was independent. I was staying alone. I had to figure out my own food. I had to manage a budget. It was, and I, my ambitions just grew higher, right? Wow, there is so much more to do. And I, so my first year of college, I did an internship with Unilever. So I was then very set on, okay, I need some good brands on my CV. If I want to go to the UK for my master's, I need to get a scholarship. So yep. I got the so first year. So I never came home for my holidays. So mm. I was partying and stuff like other kids, but I was also very, from first year on, I was like, I knew I wanted to go to the UK. So I was like, I need to get the best jobs as in internships uh, so that I could just learn. So first year I did Unilever, second year I did Disney, and then third year Disney called me back. And then, so it was with Star TV actually, yeah. uh, and I was intern, marketing intern, and mm. one of the presenters didn't show up to work. Like they had the set ready and they were like completely hassled because production costs a lot of money. And they were like, yeah. oh my God, who's there? Who can speak English, who can speak English? And they were like, you. So they started auditioning a few of us in Little Camera and I was like, sure, I'll do it. Why not? Uh, so I went for the audition. They just selected me immediately. They were like, oh. okay, there's a show. You're going to host it now. I was like, great. And suddenly oh. from an intern who was getting paid nothing, I was getting paid 10,000 rupees a day, which wow. felt like a lot of money. because of, And then obviously my makeup artist later told me, they're making you shoot five episodes, presenters charge that money or more per one episode. You're, I was like, I don't care, man. I'm 19. <laughs> I'm getting more money. I bought my first pair of uh, designer sunglasses. I got my loads of presents. I took them out to ITC for dinner. I was just, like so happy. And I, I was like, and I knew it was like just three months because I was going to the UK. I, I, and in the meanwhile, I'd gotten accepted. Oh, in, wow. Uh, so I was like, okay, I'm just going to the UK. This is three months of free time. My mom was like, don't you want to take off? holiday don't you want to spend time with us before you go for good because knowing you you're not going to come back i was like ah, it's work it's going to be great for my cv it's great i'm having a great time i learned a fair amount because i was writing my own scripts because i was like i'm not going to say these cheesy lines mm -hmm. and i wanted to write speak in english and the writers who were writing the scripts i, I didn't really like the what they were writing very much and the producer was like no she's good she let her do her own scripts so i was mm -hmm. even writing scripts doing my own costumes because I was like, I'm not going to wear all these blingy clothes. I'm going to just wear my own clothes. So it was great. It was my first experience with television. Wow. Another, would you say another inflection point where the, where the host doesn't show up and you got this opportunity, another light bulb went off that you can do anything you put your mind to? It didn't feel like that at the moment. It felt more frivolous and fun. It felt like, ah, quick money. Yeah, but looking back, do you think so? Yeah, I mean, yeah, in some ways. Yeah, looking back, actually, because at that point it felt, okay, in all honesty, I felt like I was that typical teenage, but like yeah, 19 years, who yeah. was watching at that point Woody Allen and stuff like that. Yeah. I had a slight smirk on the stuff. I was like, Sure, I'm going to do it, but I'm going to London. That's the attitude I had yeah. in my mind. I was like, I'm going to make, when I do something, this is great, it's fun. I wasn't, I wouldn't say I was paying it. I, I wanted, if that was the BBC, 
that would have been a different question, right? Mm -hmm. Because I was at that point looking at Anthony Bourdain, I was looking at Nigel Lawson, I was looking at David Attenborough. Mm -hmm. So I was thinking in my head, so that's the other thing, right? So I'm never happy in the moment. I'm always looking at, look at that. Why can't I do that? Mm -hmm. But now that you say, yeah, looking back, it's funny you say that because till even recently, my I wouldn't include this experience in my bio. Tell my agent one day, question, saying, what, you did that? Why don't you include that in your bio? I was like, no, that's so cringe. I don't want anyone to look at it. Like, it's some stupid thing I did. He was like, this is a relevant experience. And I was like, yeah, but that's not. So for me, I think it's about, unless it's excellent and something, I'm, like, I'm very proud of my restaurants. And I will still, I think that's my baby, but I did it with my own hands. I knew every detail. It was something I was proud of. But, but yeah. But you were 19. You were an intern who just got pulled in and yeah, I, you delivered. You got 10,000 10, rupees. You went to ITC, which you would never have gone to, or had gotten designer sunglasses, which you wouldn't have been able to buy. So that was pretty cool. That was, yeah, that was. Yeah. At that time, I was in transition and I was thinking of London. I was, my eyes were You were always thinking of London, even when you were four years old or five years yeah. old. So London's always been the common theme in the life you have. Yeah. So then you, after this, you got accepted in London and you didn't say, I want to spend time with parents, et cetera, because one of the themes that comes across is you're very ambitious. And dad... Uh, has been very successful. Mom has been very successful in her way. Do you, where do you think it comes from in some ways? Because you are exceptionally ambitious. Ambition for going to the next level. It's not about just, hey, can I make the most money or stuff like that. You just want to excel and go to the next level. I, that's the theme it, that comes across. That's the pay rises. <laughs> it, it's true because I'm like, if I love something, mm. I'll be like, I left uh, when I started my restaurants, I left a very high paying job to do that because mm -hmm. it was like, I don't want to be my boss. I don't want to be my CEO. So yeah. I want, so it was like, okay, to take, a, so I always feel like my investors actually for my restaurants always used to joke saying, she's going to either end up a millionaire or bankrupt, <laughs> which, which it's is It's all or nothing. It's all or nothing. Yes. So I think the ambition comes from my dad. It comes from my dad? Growing up, I remember seeing close him to working. Him? No, uh, not. Really. Yeah, because your mom, mom is your safe place. We're very similar people, but also my dad is a very aggressive person. Yeah, we never we at certain level get along. I really get him, and he gets me as well. I think, but we're too strong. Yeah, strong people. Yeah, we now we're slow get along a bit more. Because, but my dad was very proud. He never can celebrate. I've never been told by my parents, well done, never. My mom now starts saying, but when I was growing up, nobody came for my graduation. Nobody. I did all my graduations on my own. I remember asking my parents, you want to come? They were like, what were you expecting to fail? Wow. What's, what are we celebrating exactly? And I was like, all my friends, parents are coming. And I remember both my graduation, like I have photos on my own. Wow. Well, we're going to send them your podcast and say we are celebrating you, Shima, <laughs> because really that's what we're doing. So you ended up in London then, right? And how Manchester. So how was that? 
just walk us through that journey. So That's imagine- your dream. Your dream. Was it as you had visualized? Because a lot of times we have this things. I want to do this. I want to do this. And when you achieve that, and sometimes it's a mm-hmm. little bit of a letdown. It was better because I was, I'd never been abroad before. I'd never traveled international. My parents had never traveled international. Uh, I went to London. My mom still remembers. I was all of 20. I had seven suitcases because I packed everything that I could. And extra, and I left. And, and my, par- I, my mom says, you, I said, bye-bye. They were crying. And as soon as I passed security, I didn't even look back. But also forget that. I had extra baggage. I didn't want to go ask my dad for money. So I hustled with somebody, this older woman. I said, listen, you have one bag. Look at my bag. I'm just a student. I've got nothing special. Can you please take a couple of bags for me? So my parents were watching all this from the background. They were wondering what's going on. Why am I opening all the suitcases? Inside, so took a lot of my bag. I was just so excited to go. And I landed and my dad had given me 100 pounds. Just... I, was, I landed at 9 p.m. I had no clue. People researched. And this was before that whole internet crazy right. right? I didn't have Google Maps or anything. I just had a... I remember my dad got me a BlackBerry phone and that didn't have anything. So I was like, okay, how do I get there? I was like, seven suitcases. Taking the tube seems a bit unrealistic or train. So mm-hmm. let me just take a taxi. So I took a taxi. This taxi driver just dropped me in the middle of the university, which is a huge campus. Uh-huh. I didn't even write paper which told me exactly the name of my student hall. So I just knew which dorm I was in. So I was like asking all these people, dragging all these bags (laughs) and and somehow managed and to reach. And yeah, next day I had to just build my life, buy my mattress, buy all of that stuff. It was freezing. It was September, raining, cold. But I just, I remember first day and felt like I was in a movie because I was like, oh, the student... Fresh freshman kind of week. Yeah. Students are there on the streets. You're just the streets is like the university is a huge campus, right? So I was like, wow, this is like living the living in a I don't know, like a British film or something. It was I loved the accent. I loved it all. I was like, wow, this is great. And suddenly I got started getting attention. And I started getting told that I'm pretty and stuff on the street, which was a shocker to me. I was like, I didn't believe it. I was like, I was called ugly all my life in India. Now so many people think I'm pretty. London gave me everything. London has given me the confidence that India could never give me. If I was not, if I was in India, I wouldn't have done restaurants because nobody would have invested. I raised one million, just under one million pounds when I was 25 years old. That would have not happened in India. I had private equity people. I don't know, even now when I do my shows, I sell it in the US or the UK because people accept me in the West a lot more than India has ever accepted. And I still feel that. I'm still a misfit in India. And it's the sad story continues. Mm. So London was as good or even better than you had thought growing up because that was your big dream. And college was pretty remarkable. So tell us what happened after college. Was it the restaurant? What happened? No. So I went to do my uh, master's in uh, business and finance. Mm -hmm. So doing that. And from day one, I had one agenda. 
I was like, here, I don't give a fuck. Sorry, I don't give, I, I don't care about my grades. Mm -hmm. What I care about is getting a job because I knew that my visa would run out and companies wouldn't right. to stay in the UK. I would have to get a company mm -hmm. to sponsor my visa. Right. Everybody else was partying. I was, uh, I used to go to class, pay attention straight to the library. And I started applying for jobs like a job. I took it as a job. So I would go from four to eight every day and just look at all the grad schemes, keep up like connect with people on LinkedIn, figure out again, like I was a kid connecting with, I would connect with CEOs. In fact, I still remember a story. I connected with the MD of Universal Pictures in, in, in London and, oh. and he accepted my request. So I was like, oh. so I was just connecting randomly. And so I, right. and he, I messaged him. He was like, you know what? I'm going to meet you for a coffee just because of your balls. A 22-year-old, 21-year-old has never messaged me. Wow. Uh, so he actually met me for a coffee. It was amazing. I was like, thank you. And it was really, he gave me some nice uh, advice and stuff. But yeah, it was just like, it. I took up. So in my final semester, we had to do a dissertation. So mm -hmm. we had two choices. Either you do a plain dissertation or you make it a bit more complex where you do a dissertation with an internship mm -hmm. and you get graded 50% by the internship boss and 50% mm -hmm. by the boss. Right. And then it had a bit longer. So I was like, okay, I'm getting that. And not everybody got that because you had to get selected in the interview process. So I managed to get that with Insider Media, this media, British media company. So they gave me the internship. So two of us got that one. I was the only international student who got that one actually. So we went, I went there and I put all my heart in the internship. I was like, okay, I need to get, convert this into a job yeah. because what I need to do. And they actually offered me a job, but then WPP offered me a job at the same time. And it made more sense and it was a grad scheme and stuff. So I was like, okay, let me go there. So yeah, the, the WPP happened, MediaCom. So I got my visa. I got, I, I actually got a job offer the day before I submitted my dissertation which I think was only, I was the only person in my class who got that. So everybody was like, oh my God, well, how do you do that? I was like, well, I wasn't partying like you guys. I still yes. did part. I was at it. And I remember calling my dad because I had told my dad because we were having a bit of tough time. I said, I don't want a penny from you from the day I graduate. And I actually did take a penny from that day on. Wow. That's uh, determination. So ambition, determination. Uh, wow. So you went to WPP. How was that experience? Amazing. Again, like really good. For me, everything from then on was just learning, getting. There are stupid people will say that there are a lot, lot of small things, not small things, they're big things, right? Like an immigrant to get a job in the UK to be sponsored by a, with a visa is 50 times harder than a loan, right? Because mm -hmm. why should a company pay money for your visa? Yeah. So yeah, people can complain about it, right? But then you have to play by the rules. You're in that country. You are choosing to go there. If you're not, like, if you want to really work hard, you're going to make it happen, right? right? Same thing within a company. I can't expect that I'm going to show up to this global company with all these cool people. And I come from India, frankly, right? I didn't know the cultural references, the coolness, all of that. Did I get like little people make fun of me a little bit? People made fun of my accent. Of course they did. It was a sexy media company. So mm -hmm. all of that happened. But then mm -hmm. I didn't take that negatively. I, in fact, was like, okay, what can I learn from it? Yeah. Do I need to dress slightly different? Do I need to speak slightly different? Do I need to read up a bit more? Do I need to watch some more shows, like whatever, the skins or whatever, to get mm -hmm. those jokes? 
let's do that. Let's invest in that. So I started doing it that way because I was having a blast. I was in the swanky office with free food. They were taking us to pool parties. We were working wow. on some top. As a 21-year-old, what else do you want? I have That's enough true. money to pay rent, party, buy stuff. It was great. And from then on, then I got headhunted. And in that time, I actually started a food blog because I obviously, I had a job. In those jobs, they don't expect you to do much, right? I was working eight to whatever, six. Then yeah. I was like, I've got so loads of free time. So I'm going to do this blog. And that blog slowly started. Actually, the WPP job taught me marketing. So I was using that marketing skill in my blog. And then suddenly started getting noticed by Channel 4, BBC. And they started calling me for like, little TV stuff. I was like, okay. So I was having like this two kind of parallel thing going on. And right. that I got a job with Yelp. I think that was a big turning point. Because Yelp at that point, I was like 23. They came and said, we want you to launch Yelp in Manchester. So I was like, oh. and they gave me a salary cut down. But I was like, wow, that's an amazing responsibility. I get to hire people. I was like, absolutely, I'll take that. So I took that, I worked day in, day out in that job, like weekends. I didn't care. It was not a job. I was living, breathing that company. They took me to San Francisco. I was like, for a kid, that's what it matters. They give you a MacBook, they take you to San Francisco. They squeeze the living daylight out of you. You're like, yeah, take it. Uh, All the energy. So I performed well there. Then they wanted me to move to a sales role. And I was like, sales is not my scene because I can't do forced things. I can do things naturally with strategy, but I can't do sales. So it didn't work for me. And then I was like, but I was still wanted to move to London. So I moved to London with Sunday Times and I'll cut it short from Sunday Times. I went there, dream job again, but then I took an even more pay cut because I wanted to work for the Sunday Times. But, and it added definitely to my CV, but I realized I'm working with some trust fund babies. Everybody in a big media organization are basically my peers, all had houses in South Ken or Chelsea. So they didn't need the salary, whereas I couldn't afford my tube. And I was like eating in the canteen and staying up till 7 p.m. at work so that I can finish my dinner there and go. I was like, this is just unrealistic. And then magically, Asia House, the think tank offered me a job because I was doing business and policy. I had the degree and I didn't think I would get the job. And my uncle is an economic, uh, is a chief economist for was now he's for Citibank, but back then for Stan Chatham. An Indian budget had released that year, and so when they called me for the interview, I had somehow read my uncle's article on the Indian budget, <laughs> asking me about that. So I blagged my way into the interview. Honestly, <laughs> I was getting and got like a pay rise, which was four x. Yep. And that was my last job. And then I opened my restaurants. And all this, by the way, by doing all of these jobs, my blog was still growing. So are you a foodie? Yes, I am. I was a foodie. I don't like the word foodie. Okay, uh, so uh, whatever, what would be the expression? It's an American I, expression. But I would, And I love hosting. I love cooking for people. And I am very, people, I don't know. I mean, some people say I'm gifted or whatever. I, I When I cook, it's very instinctive and it's less about the the dots and the smears. It's more about the taste. It's more about the feeling, more about the emotion, more about the stories. And it it has to be tasty. You can give me a good looking dish, but if it's not tasty, I'm not going to eat it. Yeah. So it's not satisfying. 
So I love food in that kind of way. And food really started for me was the only, so when I went to the UK, I realized, so all the positive things I've obviously said, the negative things that I realized, which I touched upon, was I realized soon enough that Indians weren't looked upon as cool, right? And there was mild racism, not racism, but mild like ignorance, which results in racism happen, mm -hmm. happening, which was like the Indian accent is always made fun of. Indian food is always made. You always eat Indian food after a beer at a kebab shop. It's not fancy. You don't take your date to an Indian curry house. And also I realized this undertone of somehow like the Italians are cool, the French are cool, Indians, not so much there, right? We're like, oh, South Asians, that's the vibe I got. They're so blingy, they're so loud. They all have arranged marriages and all of that. And I didn't like, that was one thing I didn't like. And that's what my blog was trying to do. I was trying to- uh, Change, change the perception? Yeah, with through my blog, through my being at work in my small ways. And then, so that story kept going. And eventually after HR's when I decided to open my restaurant, because while doing Asia House, actually, I started getting pop-up opportunities. I, I flew to one pop-up because that time I was like, oh, I have lots of money now. I was obviously getting three times paid more. So I was like, okay, one weekend, I, I believe in like return on investment. So I'm like, okay, people are all these people following my blog. Will they pay for my food? So I decided to do a pop-up where I told a restaurant, which was not doing very well. I said, listen, you don't have many customers on a Thursday night, right? You definitely are not very full on a Sunday afternoon. I have 1,700 followers and I have some journalists following me. I used to work for the Times. Why don't you let me use your kitchen? You take all the profit, but just get me the ingredient. Let me cook. So that was my deal. He said, sure. <laughs> and wow. I said, okay. And it was fully booked out because that, that was the first time somebody had done Calcutta food in London. So loads of people showed up and I marketed it. So again, all these jobs taught me how to market. And suddenly the BBC interviewed me and things snowballed. So while my career was going, my professional career, this was snowballing. And then I started getting pop-up opportunities every weekend. I was doing with Michelin star chefs and this and that. So I kept doing pop-ups almost every weekend, working all the, week, the whole week at a think tank. Then weekends when pop-ups, I, like, I was, it was great. And then I, I but then in the, through the think tank, I met VCs and PE funds. And I was like, ah, all, and I was looking at a lot of proposals. I was like, these rubbish plans are raising money. These are like just bubble, bubble concepts, which are mm -hmm. never going to actually make real revenue. Right. A lot of don't make any cash for the longest time. I was like, here's my business plan. So I knew how to make a business plan. I knew how to make a PNL. This makes money from day one. So I was like, let me try and pitch it. And what's there to lose, right? Nothing's there to lose. So I pitched to a VC partner who was a client of ours actually. And because everybody was interested in my pop-ups, they were like, oh, Shrim, by the way, how's your pop-up going? I was like, on that note, I have something. So I took out a plan and he said, listen, if you're serious, I'll invest. So I said, what do you mean by serious? And I take things very literally. And he said, find a property. I said, okay, commercial property, no clue what that meant. Next day, I couldn't focus at work. So I just called him. I said, I'm really sick, I have to go. So I left and I just went straight to like estate agents. I went to... Seven, nobody entertained me. They were giving me their business cards and saying, who's this kid coming? They were like, please, bye-bye. Eventually, one guy, Ollie, Oliver, if you're watching this, took pity on me saying, you know what? I'll show you some properties. I said, okay, great. So let's see some properties. So I, we saw 12 properties and I 
that evening, this is by the time it was 7 p.m. I was like, okay, I love this one. He said, what do you mean you love? I said, what, what do I have to do? He said, you have to pay a deposit to take it off the market. I said, okay, how much is it? He was like, 10,000 pounds. So I checked my bank account. I had about 11,000 pounds. I said, here you go. And I said, okay, give me a photo of this. So I took a photo, send it to that guy, the VC guy. <laughs> he immediately called me in five minutes. He was like, what have you done? <laughs> Get a property. And this was the night before, right? He told me. Right. He was like, I didn't realize you're going to just go and get a property. <laughs> then you take him literally. <laughs> yeah. So then he was like, okay, you don't want to draft up a contract. And he just sent 40,000 pounds to my wow. bank account. He was like, if you manage to do this, I'm going to open the restaurant. And that was my first funding. And then I started getting other investment. And then eventually a big private equity fund came in and they invested the major chunk. But all of that happened in three months because I left my job the very next day. So I got the 40,000. I said, I walked in. I said, guys, I'm resigned. <laughs> they were like, what? You just got a promotion. I was like, yeah, but I want to open my restaurant. <laughs> they were like, and I remember my boss telling 95% restaurants in London fail. I was like, yeah, but why don't I take that chance? And yeah, that's how the restaurants are. And how many, you had multiple restaurants or one? So I had two restaurants and three market stalls. Sure. Like, because and after doing two standalone restaurants, which are, I would never do them again because they're very CapEx heavy. And yeah. I think in hindsight, I was quite young and whatever. What you only learned, I had no idea of how to open a restaurant, right? But in hindsight, what I learned is this, there are three types of restaurants that can work. One is QSR models, where it's very small investment, but you open multiple. And right. with a, right, a McDonald's, mm -hmm. best business model, because you're investing really in real estate, right? Yeah. Food is by the way. And you do one thing and one thing only. Or you are like a super high-end Michelin star restaurant. Your margins are super low. Somebody's money laundering there. It's fine. And the middle range is you're a rich person. You're a celebrity. You have a property already. You don't need to pay rent. And then if you don't need to pay rent, which is like what, 20%, 18 to 20% of your PL, then you have a good margin, right? So mom and pop shops make money because they actually probably bought the property ages back. Yeah. Or QSRs, small, quick service, great. Top of the range, money laundering happening, whatever. Most of them are losing money every day. If you look around, you would know which one is making money and which one is. So your China are making money. So that's something I realized very quickly because I wanted to open a restaurant which was Indian, but sexy. I wanted to open it in Soho. I didn't like high-end street, Charlotte Street. I was like, if I'm going to do it, I had the interior design and the architect. We came to India, to Calcutta. We got the furniture shipped because I wanted the vintage furniture from Calcutta that was going to go there. The menu was completely very authentic, but I kept with local ingredients, sustainable produce, all of that. The music I curated with a musician. I wanted the music to be right. I wanted the atmosphere to be right. So even the plates, I got like champagne coupes, which women back in the days in Tolly Club would use. So mm -hmm. everything had a story behind it. And I think that is why uh, it got a lot of press coverage. And stuff. Does it make a lot of financial sense? No, it doesn't. 
it's a hard it's a hard business as i think everybody knows so then what now you're on to the tv what is it what is the current project yeah, current of- projects i would say it's never a project with you yeah yeah so four years of restaurant and then i got actually at a big turning point i got cancer i got a big burnout i got cervical cancer and my granddad died all in the same month so we decided to close the restaurants but it was fine i got treated immediately and then i had to pay off some debt so i immediately took up a job which i was offered uh, to open uh, uk's first dark kitchen brand so i opened like about 15 of uh, sorry 15 seven of them in the uk paid off all my debts then i was like okay back to i want i did that for a year and jobs for a year i was like okay i want to make tv shows now this is what i always wanted to do and let me be brave and go for it there's one life to do it and so i get invested my own money and made a pilot it took a long time to sell it once i made the pilot it was easier but pandemic hit and eventually and i was pregnant so i sold the show while i was pregnant during the pandemic and then made the first show india bites which is what you've seen so that's out now now i'm working on two other shows one is on mahua which is a tribal alcohol that is found only in the tribal areas of india and in india it was banned by the brits and indians still don't respect it and don't drink it there it's bootlegged and stuff like that it's illegal it's banned but now there are 20 mahua bars in paris and a few in london wow see about that that's one and other one i'm working on is called superfeeders it's i don't want to give too much about it but it's a little that's we started filming already so that's about fuss, feeding fussy kids around the world feeding like, what kids fussy kids every parent no matter where you go which country you go is not happy with their way the kids and it's about so it's getting the shame out of the parents and stuff like that that's fantastic fantastic so now when you obviously you had an amazing journey and uh, the journey is just beginning because you've got where there and this is the question we ask everybody just briefly were there any mentors along the way in the journey i mean yeah like in different stages uh, yeah you and mean- they come in different shape and form sometimes it's mom and sometimes it's dad sometimes it's teachers absolutely i think my investors my current my partner my husband he is a finance person i remember when we met i was opening my second restaurant and i was still very bad with i was always scared of reading legal documents was that something that really like, scared me yeah. and he told me one day there are many talented people like you but making excuses of that i can't read legal documents that's not going to make you a good ceo because these are just bullshit excuses you've done an economics masters why can't you read read a legal document i'm not going to read it for you unless you read them highlight the points and then i'll analyze them for you so i remember that hit me i was like did you just insult my intelligence it was like i'm going to read legal documents and now i'm actually very good at reading legal documents because of practice so he i remember gave me a reality check that you've got to do it all you've got to learn how to read legal documents you know how to you need to my accountant told me for example that trim i'm not going to read your pnl every time for you you're going to read them you're going to tell me what's wrong and so again jahangir my accountant was he was like a dad a little bit so yeah my investor mark was fabulous from the pe fund i almost felt like he was this dad figure for me there were shireen one of my investors she was so elegant so classy just, just how to conduct yourself i remember when i was 
just newly in restaurants and I was getting photographed. I would have my nails shipped, hair never done. I didn't care about those things. She was like, now you're slowly getting interviewed and stuff like that. You need to be presentable. You need to, you look yeah. good and all and the rawness will only last for so long. You need to start polishing yourself. There are many people who came in different forms. Who, uh, my daughter now, she's taught me patience. That's true. They come in all different forms. And that's one of the messages for our people who listen. That Looking out for mentors, sometimes we don't even realize that. So, Shivaya, where do you see the journey going from here? It's hard to obviously in this current world that we live in predict, but where would you like to see this journey go from? How about I would, I don't know about my journey, but what I would like to do through my journey uh, is something I know and which has been consistent actually, is I want the West to look at India in a different light, in the entertainment space, in the just, yeah, media space that we have all these successful people in tech, in CEOs, but somehow when it comes to entertainment, India is still looked down. Oh, Priyanka Chopra has changed that. But again, she's more in the fiction space. I'm talking about bringing out real Indian stories because I make documentaries and I want to stick to that. I want to make unscripted shows because I find the real stories are the best stories. Like the women I interviewed and met in Chhattisgarh, in Bastar, who are making the tribal alcohol. They are cool. They are so badass. We don't talk about these Indian women. Why do we all have to come in this? Why is one package an accepted norm? Why are, I, I want India to be looked at as they look at, I don't know, San Francisco or California, at least, or London or Paris or Italy, whatever. So I want to make shows which represent India in that light where people get to learn or have an aha moment. You're like, ah, oh, okay, that's there too. That's cool. India is not just a land of arranged marriages and engineers and IT back offices. There is a lot more going on. Well, that's pretty cool. Being involved in media and using that as a medium to maybe show different aspects of India. Much, much needed, I think so. And I got to check out that uh, Mahua thing that you said. I, I had no idea about that. It's not public yet, but I'll send it to you. Okay. For your Yeah, that'll be fantastic. Now, we've got into the future. I'm just going to take you very briefly to the past. So let's just pretend this is Shiromaya, who's just graduating out of the college in Mumbai. What would be your advice, knowing what you know, to Shiromaya, who's just graduating out of college and looking at big dreams to go to London? Because this is also a message to our listeners, actually, in, indirectly that you're giving. Yeah. I would just uh, say be less angry, do exactly what you've done, but with less anger and with less, a bit more patience. No, maybe at that age, I didn't, patience wouldn't have worked. I, if I wasn't impatient, I wouldn't be doing things. But I would say less anger. Yeah, but in certain ways, patience, because I think I would have picked up more things if I was slightly more patient. Yeah. and but But otherwise... Yeah, not much because I don't think if I slowed down or did any of that, the thing is I'm nowhere near where I want to be. So I'm still <laughs> not there. But yeah, I don't think I would change much besides I was quite, an, I was angry about a lot of things. 
and I just wished that I was, I had less angst. Well, you don't have as much angst now, which is a great thing. No, the motherhood. Motherhood, motherhood has and therapy, years of therapy, for six years of therapy is what helps. I highly recommend it. Yeah. Absolutely. We always end with a very brief two things that we ask all our guests. We're creating a cloud for those things. Your idea, brief idea of Indianness, this show is about Indianness. So what is your concept of Indian? You've touched on it in many different ways, actually. But let's hear it from you. I think my idea of Indianness with the current scenario, in keeping in mind the current political economic scenario of India, is that there are many Indias within an India, and we need to embrace all our Indias. It's Indians, as I think there's a fundamental problem with us. We are not very proud of our own culture, right? So we'll go to an Indian restaurant in London and start eating with a spoken knife. Why aren't we proud of eating with our hands? Why then do you go to a Japanese restaurant and eat sushi with your with chopsticks, right? So I think we need to start first embracing and being proud of who we are and stop being embarrassed, which is obviously years of colonization and all of that. But I think it's time to move on from that and be like, we're such a rich culture with so many cultures within a culture and we are secular. We have so much going on. We just need to embrace ourselves and flaunt our real culture to the world, not a borrowed Western culture, wearing a big Western brands, which is what happens with globalization, which happened with China 10 years back. Now that's happening in India where everybody's just, they think wearing these big brands are going to make you look cool. No, what's going to make you look cool is if you wear those handy artisanal designers from India or you celebrate the local Indian cuisine or you talk about the regional cinema or whatever, startups. It's a huge thriving startup scene here. Let's celebrate ourselves first before we can expect the world to celebrate us. And I think that's what Indianness to me is. I think India really needs to come together, be united a little bit more. Now, if you want to really take over as a superpower, because if you see Chinese people, they're very proud of themselves. Japanese, mm -hmm. very proud of themselves. Italian, Spanish, we need to learn, to, we need to start doing that. And I think we're doing that slowly. We're also a huge country. So yeah. it's going to take very diverse country too, but be proud of who we are. Final question, somebody not in your family living either in India or outside India that of Indian origin that inspires you? Oh, many. Pick one or two at the most. Pick. That inspires you. Of Indian origin, right? From India. Indian origin or in India or of India. Living, not family. In Indra Nui. It's a great choice. Uh, uh, Mira Nair. Excellent choice. And Amartya Sen, I, because I also know him personally, the only one I know personally, and he's so successful, but just so humble. His humility and just normalness is intimidating. It's yeah. like, how are you so normal? So, yeah, I think these are my... Yeah. Because I, I chose them in particular because they all came from India and they've all made global marks yeah. with heart. Yeah. Great choices. Great choices. 
Shubha, thank you so much. This has been uh, fabulous. Thank you for being open. Thank you for letting us into a window into your life. Really inspiring for a lot of people. And thanks again. And hopefully if you come to DC, we'd love to connect up with you. But thanks again for being on the podcast. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. Hope I didn't blabber too much, which is what I usually no. do. But <laughs> That's the show. Yeah, exactly. That's the show. That is the show, but thanks for being on the show. Really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the Indianist podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a five-star review and subscribe to enjoy future inspirational stories.